0: If you would open your Bibles to Ezekiel chapter 37, Ezekiel chapter 37, as we look this morning at verses 1 through 14, Ezekiel 37 verses 1 through 14. Would you stand in honor of God's word as I read our text for this morning? And then He said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. And thus says the Lord God to these bones, behold, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live and I will lay sinews upon you and will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. Heavenly Father God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your word. And just as we just sang, God, I pray that you would speak to us through your word. And Lord, I pray as the psalmist prays that you would open our eyes that we might see wonderful truths from your word. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So July 23rd, 2009. The question that comes to my mind and the question I have for you this morning is, have you ever had a moment in your life... Where you felt hopeless. July 23rd, 2009. And if you realize that, that was 12 years ago, two days ago. So Friday uh, happened to be my youngest son's birthday. Because on July 23rd, 2009, Luann and I uh, went into the hospital. She was to have a scheduled C-section for our fourth child, Micah. And she went in, she had that C-section... And then uh, came back into the room, but uh, family came in, they saw the baby, they saw Luann, they saw me, of course she was pretty much out of it, doesn't remember most of it. And, and they came in, they did all that, everyone left, they took the baby back to the nursery and I just relaxed finally for the first time in, uh, in like 36 hours. And, and so um, it, that all happened, but as we began to notice, she was not recovering the way that you should recover. Um, in fact, she was really struggling uh, to, to get up. She was really struggling to speak, to, to, to even pay attention to what was going on in the room. And I kept thinking maybe it was just because she was tired. Uh, but then uh, one of the nurses says, we've got to get her up and get her to walk around a little bit. And so I came over to the bed to help her get up. And as she stood up, her face went ghost white and she fell backwards on the bed and passed out. They rush in, they begin to do all of these things. Uh, by God's grace, our anesthesiologist happened to be, just happened to be walking past the room when it happened. And she ran in and checked, said, call the doctor. The doctor came in and what we found out was that the five or six hours that she had been laying there in recovery in the room, she was bleeding internally. Um, and, and it, was, it was just a small bleed but enough that over time it, it got worse and it got worse and it got worse and they came to me and they said hey, you need to call whoever you need to call because we've got to get her to the OR we will be back in a minute so of course I run over I grab the phone I pick it up, I call her parents who had left just a few hours before to drive home and I called my parents who only lived about 45 minutes away and I said you you have got to get back here. They said they're going to take her to the OR in just a minute and as I hung up the phone they told me that I would have a few minutes but as I hung up the phone I heard something and I turned and they had already disconnected her from everything and they were wheeling her out of the room and a very well-meaning, I'm certain a well-meaning nurse looked at me in the face and said, say goodbye to your wife. And then they wheeled her out of the room and the door shut behind them and I wasn't allowed to leave the room. So I'm in a room by myself for about an hour before anybody walked in to tell me what was going on or anything. And in that moment, I felt so overwhelmingly hopeless. Um, Not to mention the fact that I had actually had a dream the night before that she died in childbirth, which didn't help anything. I was overwhelmed, I was overcome, and about an hour into it, my parents walked through the door. um, And and I just was on my knees sobbing. I mean, I I didn't know what to do, and I felt hopeless. Now, of course, God did an amazing work, as she is obviously sitting here, and Micah had his 12th birthday yesterday. But I remember that moment, the despair, the feeling like I, I couldn't do anything at all. That everything was out of my control. And you know, maybe your story is different than mine. Maybe you've got a time in your life where you've lost hope. Or maybe even this morning you have lost hope. But let's, let's step back out of the situation and think of it on a larger scale. Maybe it's that you have lost hope. In the fact, when we look at how this world is going and, and you, you're on social media or you're watching the news and you just feel overwhelmed and you feel hopeless and you think. Matthew twenty eight nineteen, Jesus told his disciples to go therefore into all the world and preach the gospel. Uh, making disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And we hear that call and, and when we look at this world and, and, and we see how evil and, and just and terrible things are, we become hopeless. Maybe you look around, even in light of what we're doing this afternoon, the gospel to every home You look around and and you're overwhelmed by the thought there are so many people or or, people in this culture just don't want to listen or most of the people around here think they're Christians but they don't actually live their lives according to uh, the commandments and the statutes of Christ. And you've lost hope. But you want to see God work in a mighty way. But it just seems... Hopeless. Well, I'm here to tell you this morning that the mission we have been given as a church, uh, as the church, um, when the mission seems hopeless, you can hope in God. When the mission seems hopeless, you can hope in God. Now, I'll give you a real quick recap Ezekiel chapter. Thirty-seven. What's going on in Ezekiel? Well, Ezekiel is a prophet in the time of captivity of the people of God. And the people are in such a terrible state. Uh, They have been there for so long. They believed that they were lost forever, that they were without hope. And in Ezekiel 36, God comes uh, to Ezekiel and he tells him that he is going to restore his people. He's not just going to bring them back, but he is going to restore them and make them entirely new. And then in Ezekiel 37, it gives us an understanding of just how huge of a task this would be. Seeing as how the people of God are represented, as you just heard, as a giant pile of very dry bones with zero life. So in Ezekiel 37, we have a prophet who is faced with a seemingly impossible and hopeless situation. See, the church has been given a great and monumental task to share the good news with the whole earth, and this is overwhelming. However, this passage shows us again that when all seems hopeless, we can hope in God. But the first thing we see in this passage is that by ourselves, this task is impossible. It's impossible. You say, well, I thought you just said that that we're supposed to hope in God. Yes, we are. It, hear the point again. By ourselves, the task is impossible. Here here verse 1. The hand of the Lord was upon me and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full So you've got this vision, Ezekiel's having this vision, Uh, the spirit of the Lord has come upon him and he is brought out into this, in in this vision, he's brought out into this valley of dry bones. Now the picture here is of an army that has been laid waste, they've been wiped out and then, which is the worst thing ever uh, for an Israelite or for a Jew, their bodies have simply been left to rot and to decay. They have not had the proper burial. And they have been left out in the sunshine for a period of time to the point that they are very dry. Listen what he says in verse 2. And he led me around among them and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley and behold, they were very dry. It sounds odd that he keeps saying and behold. It's because he's shocked. The vision is shocking to him. He says, I, I went out in this valley and behold, there were, there were a valley full of dry bones. And the Lord led me around in them and behold, they were very, very dry. He's just overwhelmed by the fact that all of these people who are the people of God, they seem to have just been abandoned. They seem to have just been left out in the middle of this valley with no one to care for them. So he says it is very dry. And then in verse 3. In verse 3 he says, And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? That's designed to highlight that the people of God, of their impotence during the exile. So the children of Israel are in Babylon. They, they, they are in captivity. They have no control over their own lives. They are completely and totally captive. So it's, it's to highlight the fact that they, on their own, are On their own. They have nothing. They have no power. They have no ability. They have no strength to be able to do what they need to do. They were completely incapable of accomplishing anything on their own behalf. So God says, son of man, this is title for Ezekiel, son of man, can these bones live? It seems like a crazy question. Obviously, God doesn't need to know. He's making a point to Ezekiel. But I love Ezekiel's response. It's like the, maybe the best response in all of Scripture. He says, Son of man, can these bones live? And Ezekiel's response is, Oh Lord, you know. He, he says... I'm not willing to step out there and say yes or no. I have no idea. So I'm just going to say, God, in your infinite wisdom, in your complete ability, God, you know. I'm not going to presume upon anything that I can think of. Instead, I choose to say that whether these bones can live is beyond the pale of my human experience. So I'm going to leave that to you. Oh, Lord, you know. So what happens? What happens? seems like it's the proper response because... And then God says in verse 4, Then he said to me... Now, hear this. This is the craziest command ever. A valley of dry bones. That means they've been there a very long time. They have zero potential for life. The point is, on their own, son of man, can these bones live? The answer is no, they cannot. But he says, Lord, you know. So the Lord turns and says, son of man... Prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Prophesy over these bones and say what? Hear. They're bones. I don't know if you've seen bones before. Bones don't have ears. Right? Sort of like because they're bones. So, so he's saying, here. How can an inanimate object hear something but he tells him to speak i want you to speak the 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 absurdity of this statement should not be lost god told the prof uh, the prophet not just to speak which would be crazy enough but he tells him to tell them to hear i want you to hear see what has happened at this moment god is already in the realm of the impossible He's already in the realm of the impossible. Standing in front of a valley of dry bones, he turns to the prophet and says, I want you to speak to them, and I want you to tell them to listen. So what happens? God says... In verse 5, thus says the Lord God to these bones. And this is what he told him to prophesy. Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you, and will cause flesh to come upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you. And you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. Listen to what he says over and over again. This is what the prophet is to declare to the dead dry bones. Thus says the Lord, I will. I will. Look at the passage. I will. He says it over and over and over again to let everybody know in this passage. To let you know today, when you read this passage, that God is the one that does the work. If you and I are left to our own ability, we will always fail. The task is impossible If it's left to us alone. But God tells him to prophesy and say, I will, I will, I will. His task is impossible. But what is the purpose? What is the purpose for the declaring to the bones? Hear it because you don't want to miss this. God gives the reason. He says, I will do this. I will do this. I will, I will, I will, I will, then at the end of verse 6, and you will know that I am the Lord. The purpose of why God is the one, God is the one with the power, God is the one with the ability, it's so in the end you and I cannot lay claim to anything. It's so that they would know that He is the Lord. Jesus said something similar to this when he said, Do these good works on earth so that they may glorify your Father in heaven. The purpose is not for you and I to get the glory. It's for him to get the glory. And the only way that happens is when we recognize that left to ourselves the task is impossible. But if by ourselves the the task is impossible, then isn't it good that he hasn't left us alone? He tells us, beginning in verse 7, that we have been given both God's message and His power. We just sang about it. We have been given both His message and His power. Look at verse 7. So, this is Ezekiel. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a sound. And behold, a rattling. And the bones came together. Bone. To its bone, and I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh came upon them, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, Prophesy to the breath, Prophesy, Son of Man, and say to the breath, Thus says the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breath, and breathe on these slain, that they may live so I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and they stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. So what are the two things that we see here? What is required for new life to occur? One, God's the one that does it, not you and not me. But the second, the two things that are required for it to happen is he prophesied, he spoke the word of the Lord, and then the Spirit See, it says prophesy to the breath, the Hebrew word there, it's it's wind, it's also spirit. Um, So he prophesied to the spirit. That's really important because when he spoke the word, they all came together, right? All of a sudden, what was once just dry bones were standing there. But what were they at that moment? Zombies. That's all they were. Why? Because he says very clearly, all this happened in verse 8. But there was no breath in them. They were there, but they weren't alive yet. Why weren't they alive? Because it doesn't take just the, the word, it also takes the spirit. It also takes the spirit of God indwelling the person to bring them to life. So God has given us his provision and he's also given us his power. He's given us his provision because if you're a believer in Jesus Christ this morning, you believe the gospel, which means you know enough to share the gospel with someone else. You have been given his provision. You know the message. You know the message that Jesus died on the cross for your sins and rose again three days later. You turn from your sin, place your your life in His hands. You can have life. If you will confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. You know that. You have that. You have His provision. You have the message. You say, but I... I don't know if I can. I mean, I don't know if I have the ability. Every time I, I go to open my mouth, I get nervous. I get scared. What if they don't like me? What if they yell at me? What if they slam the door in my face? What if they scream no soliciting through the door? What, what if all of those things happen? Guess what? He didn't just give you his provision, the message. He gave you his power, which is the Spirit. He said, you go, he told his disciples, you go and you wait for me but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and then you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. He says, you wait and you will receive power when the Spirit comes upon you. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ this morning, you don't just know the gospel you have the power of God living within you and you have the ability to stand in courage and open your mouth and I promise you if you will open your mouth, he will make Make it happen. He says, Prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, Thus says the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain so that they may live. So I prophesied. So I prophesied. Do you notice something? He was brought to a valley of dry bones. We're going out to almost 2,000 houses this afternoon. And while there are certainly people who are believers and they love the Lord Jesus Christ who are in that list, there are a whole lot more who do not know the Lord Jesus Christ. We are looking out on a valley of those who without Christ, they are a valley of dead, dry bones. And they are in need of the gospel and they are in need of the power of the Holy Spirit in their life. They need that. And if we are to go to them, notice this. Ezekiel's brought to the valley. He sees the darkness. And then God tells him to speak. And then God gives him the words to speak. And then when the army is built up, God says, call to the Spirit. And the Spirit comes in and fills them. Do you notice at this point the only thing that Ezekiel brought to the table? Do you notice what it is? There's only one thing that Ezekiel brought to the table. He didn't make this vision happen, so that's not what's occurring. He didn't come up with the message on his own. He didn't know what to do. He was getting direction from God the whole time. What is the only thing that Ezekiel brought to the table? Obedience. So I prophesied. That's the only thing Ezekiel could say about himself in the whole story. God told me to do it, and I did it. So I prophesied and it happened look at verse 10 as he commanded me i did it as he commanded and the breath came into them and they lived and stood on their feet an exceedingly great army do you want to see a move of god we need the word of god the gospel of jesus christ and we need the holy spirit we need the Word and the Spirit. See, if, if it's all Word and no Spirit, we just have a huge intellect and no fire. And if it's all Spirit and no Word, then we have a whole bunch of bad theology. We need Spirit and Word combined. Jesus told the woman at the well that those who worship God worship Him how? In Spirit and in truth. We need the Word and the spirit so we've been given both of those things we've been given this message and we've been given this power to say but i just don't know i i'm nervous about doing it i'm nervous i get that i'm pretty sure that this was a pretty crazy circumstance for ezekiel too as he's brought out and seeing this valley and seeing these visions and being told to speak to dry bones and tell them to listen and all these things are happening and he's watching them be, I mean, I don't know about you, but watching something go from a, a hollowed out bleached white bone to a full-blown army would be kind of an overwhelming experience. So all this is happening and Ezekiel is overwhelmed. But you know what we come out of this story with? We come out of this story recognizing that God is the life-giving God he is the life-giving God look at verse 11 then he said to me son of man these bones are the whole house of Israel so don't forget the fact that this this passage was not a passage that was written about the church Uh, this passage is a passage written about Israel and that God would restore them and he would restore the nation so that's the truth of what's happening at this point but he says, this is the whole nation of Israel. And behold, they say, our bones are dried up. Our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. So then he tells him something else. Verse 12, therefore prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord God. You ready for this? Thus says the Lord God, behold, I will open your graves and raise you from the graves It's so amazing because they're crying out and saying, but it's so dry. They're the the valley of dry bones. We're so dry. We're broken up. We're hopeless. We have nothing. And then God says, guess what, though? You know who I am? Do you know what I can do? I can raise you out of the grave. I can bring you where there was death, now there is life. Where there was darkness, now there is light. I can make all things new did you know that God is not in the business of making sick people well he is in the business of making and he's not in the business of making people who are not very good a little bit better he's in the business of making people who were completely dead fully alive and that's what he tells him he says I'm going to raise you up from the grave I'm going to resurrect you. I will put my spirit in you. See, God's revival is a move of the spirit. Lest you think or less you have been taught to believe that if you and I can just do A, B, C, and then boom, revival happens, the question comes, why hasn't it happened? Because revival is a move of the spirit. It's when God's people... Humble themselves before him and say, God, we know we don't deserve it. God, we know that it's not our right to even ask for it. But God, would you move? See, revival doesn't happen where then the world can look and say, wow, look at what they're doing over there at Eastwood. Wow, look at their new preacher. Wow, look at that program they have now. Revival happens when people see those things and just say, Wow, how great is God? Because it's a move of the Spirit. You and I cannot control the Spirit. So the Spirit comes. He says, I will put my Spirit within you. And this is the the outcome. This is how we know it's true revival. This is how we know it's a move of God. Is because people don't remember you and they don't remember me. They only know what? And you shall know that I am the Lord. That's the purpose. Right? So often, so often, we think it's a move of God because people are really talking about what we're doing over here. It's a move of God when people are talking about God. It's a move of God not when people are just excited about some things going on. It's a move of God when people are broken over their sin and on their face in repentance. That's a move of God. God. He says, then you will know that I am the Lord. And then how does he end it? I love it. He says, I am the Lord. I have said it and I will do it. If you and I, we, right, we don't make anything else happen. We just show up. This afternoon you're going to go out to 2,000 houses. 98% of it is showing up at 2 o'clock. of it is grabbing those bags and simply walking up the sidewalk and knocking on the door. That's 98% of it. And guess what happens? When you're obedient, God will act. God will speak. God will move. And God will make things happen. Now ultimately, this passage God is declaring to the people of Israel, again, like I said, that He's going to restore their nation. He's going to make them new. And He's going to give life where there was only death. But you know, when we go through life and we share this message we have been given, it's not that, so that um, people can say, wow, that's interesting. Wow, that's amazing. But I could tell you this, when somebody was dead and they were brought back to life, people don't go, wow, that's pretty neat. Wow, that's, that's pretty cool. When God brings someone back to life and he breaks bondage that has been there, he restores a marriage that was completely destroyed. When he restores a person who's broken by addiction and he brings them back to life, when he does those kind of things, nobody who knows that situation stands there and goes, wow, that's neat. We are blown away by the activity of God in their life. If you're a believer this morning, you've had at least one circumstance like that in your entire life. You were walking around, minding your own business, doing your own thing, and then a boulder from heaven dropped on you, and your life has never been the same again. Because when God acts, no one ever wonders who it was. And the purpose is always clear, so that people may know that He is the Lord. What is the point of all this? Well, ultimately, the fulfillment of this passage, 30, chapter 36 and 37, the fulfillment of this passage is ultimately found in Jesus Christ. Right? The, the fulfillment of God saying, I will come to you and I will take your heart of stone and I will give you a heart of flesh and I will give you my spirit and my spirit will dwell within you. All of that happened with Jesus. And if you're here this morning, now, maybe you're here and you've been here for a long time. Your whole life. I've met a whole lot of people who basically made it sound like they were born in the fellowship hall. <laughs> right? By the way, that's what it sounds like when you say, I was born at Eastwood. That's what I think of immediately. But you've been here your whole life. And just as Hayden said on his testimony, you, you know the words to say, you know when to stand up, you know when to sit down, you know the songs. You know when I say turn to Ezekiel, you don't even have to look at the table of contents. You know where to go. Right? You've done all of that. You've been to vacation Bible school. You've gone to winter Bible study. You've done all of those things. You have been to everything. When they used to have it, you you never missed training union. But inside your heart, you know... Just as he said on the testimony, you can't can't answer confidently. If I said, if you were to die today, where would you spend eternity? You can't answer confidently. You begin to claim all the things you've done. Hear, Hear me. If someone asks you about your salvation and you begin to talk about the things you've done, that's works. That's works. Well, I did this. Well, I've done this. Well, I've done this. Unless your answer is, I gave up and let him do all the work. I turned my life over to him And he saved me. That's salvation. Maybe that's you this morning. Or maybe you're a guest with us. We're so grateful that you're here. And if you're a guest with us, we're grateful. But at the same time, you're here this morning. And maybe even you know the the right words. You know the things to say. But inside your heart, it's dead. It's dark. It's broken. And you are in need of life. I'm glad you're here this morning because, can I tell you this, not because I'm special, not because we're special, but because we have been saved by the same grace. The only way you can have life is in Jesus Christ. You may feel hopeless this morning, but you can hope in God. You can hope in Him this morning. You can have that salvation. You can be changed. And only By letting go of your own life. Turning from your sin. And putting your faith in Jesus Christ. You can do that. You say, I don't understand what all that means. Remember what I said earlier? You don't bring anything to the table. All you need to do is be obedient. And the call this morning is simple. Come. Come to Jesus. Come to him. I'm going to be standing right down here. There's nothing special about me. Except that when you come up and you take me by the hand. I want to lead you. I want to help you understand what it means to give your life to Christ. And then we're we're going to have a song of invitation. Brother Dana. And then we're going to come up and sing after I pray. And then after we're done singing. I'm going to come back with one little charge before we dismiss. Heavenly Father. God I thank you even now. Lord I thank you for your word. God I thank you for each person here. God, I thank you that you have given us your message. You have given us your spirit. And God, this morning, I pray for those who are here. God, I pray for the one who's here who's a guest, who says, I was brought here because I was promised a free lunch. Well, Lord, I pray that today they would realize that while they may have come here for one thing, they came here and they have a divine appointment with you. And Lord, for those, the one sitting in this room right now, honestly, the one sitting in this room right now who's thinking, I can't go forward, everybody thinks I'm saved. I can't go forward, I, I've, I've led mission trips. I, I can't go forward, I've taught Sunday school. Lord, there is someone in this room that is battling with that right now. I pray that you would rip that away. You would rip the pride and dependency upon what other people think. And they would say simply, you know what, I don't care this morning. I need Jesus. God, I pray that you would move mightily through this place. And those who are here this morning who need to trust you, who feel hopeless, who feel broken, who feel lost, that they would recognize that they can find their hope and you. God, I pray this morning as we stand in just a second and I say amen, Lord, I pray that you give them the courage to step out, come forward and say, I need Jesus. And it's in his name I pray. Amen. Would you stand together with me?